Justin Moore, and you are listening to another episode of Har Business. Now, this is the first new episode of our new format. Notice the use of the word our, because I will henceforth be joined by my co-host, the co-host of Cinepunks and star of such films as Creed, <laughs> Liam O'Donnell. I really didn't think you were actually going to say it. No, why wouldn't I say that? I'm not a man who writes blank checks with his mouth and <laughs> doesn't cash them. <laughs> I appreciate that. Hey, uh, hi to the listening public. To my mom, basically. That's who listens to my podcast. Greetings to Justin's mother. Uh, (laughs) Not the first time I've greeted Mrs. Lore. Yeah. Uh, uh, Greetings also to anyone else who's found their way. Uh, We hope that you will find this an invigorating, elucidating, and interesting walk down horror lane. Basically... If you've listened to the show before, uh, it's now going to be less me ranting about what I like and don't like about horror stuff, and more me ranting about what I don't like and d- like about horror stuff with Liam's academic knife to cut through my nonsense <laughs> and make the medicine go down with his sugar. I'm the medicine, he's the sugar. I, I feel like uh, this is a strange way to sort of conceive of this. Very few people would think of me as sugar. I feel like if I'm the sugar, then your medicine is really fucked up. Like okay, you, that's fine. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm totally comfortable with I'm that. I'm okay with that. What we're going to be doing is each episode, we will have gathered to watch a double feature. We may be joined by friends. Or enemies. Or, yeah, or enemies. Or people that we just <laughs> drag in off the street. Yeah. And then they uh, hopefully will also join us for the recording. And we'll discuss those movies. We'll talk a little bit about... Uh, news, things going on in horror, ourselves, but uh, we'll be especially re- responding to people, to your comments, to your ideas, to the things you share with us on social media. Yes, I, I certainly want more. Um, we're going to make more of an attempt to get comments and ideas um, from you guys via Facebook, Twitter, Smoke Signals, whatever, so that we can 
bring them up on you know each episode and be like, oh yeah, like we just watched um, the Fog remake for whatever reason. Good. What I don't what know why we reason? would watch the Fog. What remake. is the reason for that? And then people are gonna be like. They're gonna respond to that. We're not gonna watch the fog remake, but that's a you get the point. It's gonna be more interactive. Well, and we might at some point. I mean, once once we've been doing this for a while and we're we're sort of in a flow, people might want to recommend movies. They might yeah. say, "Oh, it'd be cool to hear you guys talk about this," or talk about this so I can yell at you for how wrong you are. Yes. That's probably where I. My goal, our goal, is for people to be listening to this in their car. We say something. And if they know us, they just fuck this and they get their phone and they start, they're like, they're, they got to pull over and text us angrily, be like, well, you didn't say that or you said something I disagree with. Pull over if you're going to do that, though. Don't drive and text. It's not a no, good No, that idea. is awful. Don't, or t- drive and tweet. Yeah. And certainly don't tweet in a movie theater. Yeah. Because Liam will fucking yell at you. I will fucking he will yell at you. the fuck out. <laughs> so, um,. So let's start with a little bit for, for assuming that this actually attracted people who don't know us in real life. Yeah. Let's start off a little bit with, with who we are, especially when it comes to horror. So you started this podcast. What was the first episodes you talked about? First episode I did was on, it was about my love hate relationship with zombie culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the first three George Romero zombie films are perfect horror films. Those are my some of my favorite. Dawn of the Dead is my favorite movie of all time. But I cannot stand the... And this sounds so elitist and like, uh, I don't know, fedora-wearing of me, but like I really don't like how how zombies have become like the cool... Like everyone, like you see moms with t-shirts that like I brain zombies, and it's just kind of lame. So the first episode was basically me ranting about that, uh, venting a- about my pet peeves when it comes to quote unquote normal's perception of zombie culture. What was your introduction to zombies? Was it Romero? Yeah. Uh, when I was a kid, um, when I was little, I, I had my, my dad's youngest brother was like the cool rebellious uncle who let me watch the OG night of the living dead, maybe 10 minutes of it. Um, and I was just like, okay, that's amazing. I need to watch more of that. And then it was like, I don't actually think I saw Dawn of the dead till I was like a little bit older, but then Weirdly enough, it was like Night of the Living Dead and then like the first three Return to the Living Dead films. Hmm. So it was like I, I missed. And then, you know, that was when I, I eventually sought out like the George Romero stuff, like Day of the Dead sure, and Dawn of the sure. Dead and everything. I had a copy of Night of the Living Dead on VHS that my mom bought me. And for some reason, she thought of it as not that scary of a horror movie like she got it for me as like a oh this is like a classic like frankenstein or dracula yeah yeah and then i watched it and you know there's people eating things that look like human and you know i i mean i guess compared to the uh gore apocalypse that we're currently in you know where every movie is just or dawn of the dead where you see the guy get pulled apart why his arm is like yeah sure but it still was an intense experience for a relatively young kid it wasn't the first horror movie i saw but that was first zombie movie she was just like oh this is you know it's she didn't suggest it was cute but since i had already watched some horror movies she kind of thought like oh this is low it's not that big a deal and i actually found it more upsetting than some of the other horror movies i had seen what's kind of funny is uh, I was maybe 13, 13 or 14. I bought on VHS the original Evil Dead. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember, like, I brought it home and I don't, I thought I was like cool, forget, like, yeah, I'm a fucking badass. I got this, this horror movie. And my dad, I remember specifically my dad being like, 
I'm absolving myself of all responsibility is with, that how, right? with how you act after you see this movie. And I was just like, great, this is, this is going to be bad. And it wasn't that bad, but it was still just like, I remember that, like, that feeling that like, my dad was just like, okay, like, whatever. <laughs> this is on you. I mean, that original Evil Dead, it grossed me out. The first, I mean, it still kind of grosses me out the first time I saw it, let alone that it's still effective. Like, it yeah, really... I mean, it's, 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 it's definitely like, got its moments. The the part of that movie that always like really freaked me out was the the very end with the like claymation, mm-hmm. and I've heard that part get like a lot of like people like that's the weakest part of the movie because that's where the low budget really shines through. But I put to you that actually makes it more nightmarish, hmm. like with like just I mean it just it I, I don't know it reminds me it reminds me of something from my childhood that I can't quite put my finger on. Maybe it's the video for Genesis Land of Confusion. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why, but it's just like it. It just it makes it like that much more nightmarish. Like like the the the, the, the creepy claymation. Like what was uh, we're not counting the movies we'll be discussing tonight, which are uh, for our audience again are uh, Don't Look Now, amazing film. I mean, we're, we'll be discussing. We it. will be Don't Look Now and Opera. Meh. <laughs> not counting those what was the last good thing that you saw last good horror film i saw yeah um I'm trying to think it's been a minute since i've watched horror since i've watched any horror movies because like the, i mean obviously i think i watched halloween on halloween but that doesn't count i feel like an idiot because i can't quite remember the title and, and people are gonna be like well how, how how good was it if you can't remember the title oh you're such an ass but it was like a, it was on netflix and it was called dark i, I want to say it was called dark was the night and it had Kevin Durant in it, and it was really, 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 really good up until literally the last like thirty seconds of the movie. And then I was just like, oh. And at first I was like, this movie sucks. But then I was like, you know what? I'm not going to hold this movie responsible. I'm not going to hold the first hour, ten minutes, and thirty seconds of this movie responsible for the last thirty seconds of this movie. So that was good. Um, super creepy. Uh, yeah, Dark Was the Night, 2014 film. Yeah. Super creepy, like it, it was like like a like like a like a creature feature, like oh, there's something in the woods stalking people. Was Me- it was it an eco terror sort of movie? Uh, yeah, kind of like I mean, it involved loggers getting killed. Sure. So it was sort of like the um, not the Christopher Walken prophecy. The I think I want to say his name was Frankenheimer. Made a movie called The Prophecy. Oh, okay. About like the bear. Have you ever? Oh, uh, I've never seen it. It's really yeah. It's really like kind of like that. Like um. You know, it's one of those, like, you know, man should not tamper with what was not meant to be tampered with. You know, there's, it was one of those films where, like, if, like, an ancient Native American guy came out and, like, spoke very somberly about the sins of the past, I'd be like, oh, okay, that's fine. That makes total, that doesn't happen. But if it did, I wouldn't be surprised at all. <laughs> well, I, uh, recently I got this uh, Larry Fessenden collection. So that's why I had Eco Terror on the mind, because there's four movies in it. And of the four movies, three are, in some sense, ecological. Uh, oh, yeah. the, the first one, No Telling, is kind of like a, a, a film that deals with animal testing. Okay. And the, hor- the horrors of animal testing. I can get behind that. W- Wendigo is kind of generally about people's relationship to nature. Was that the one with the little kid from Malcolm in the Middle? Yes. Okay. Oh, I wish I had it up in front of me. There's a few people in it that you would recognize and be like, oh, sure. In fact, oh. The well, the thing about so the thing about Wendigo is it vaguely relates to hunting, but it's not actually clear if it's an anti-hunting movie as much as it's a movie about 
how afraid Larry uh, uh, Fessenden is of Wendigos. <laughs> <laughs> like, just like the idea of the Wendigo. Oh, Patricia Clarkson is in it. Okay. In a sort of rare, sort of sexy role, which Ooh. is not really what I associate with Patricia Clarkson per se. And then Jake Weber is in it. And. Uh, John Sparadakos. Anyways, it's good. And then the last one is huge ecological. It's basically, uh, it's it vaguely relates to the Wendigo thing as well. It's called The Last Winter. And it's... Uh, that is... is uh, I've seen that. That's the one that takes place... In like Antarctica. They're yeah, like yeah, yeah. And there's like drilling spirits. Yeah, there's spirits. Ron and Perlman in it? Ron Perlman's yes. in it. Yes. Two people from Friday Night Lights are in it. I love Friday Night you Lights. You do like Friday Night. We were talking about this the other day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the the mom, Coach's wife is in it, and Coach's daughter's boyfriend, the hick one. Right? Is the, 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 I think people who know the show will know their names. Yeah. I don't know their names. Yeah, uh, it's by Coach's wife. Co- like Craig T. Nelson, Coach? No, 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 no. The coach from Friday oh, from Night Friday Lights. <laughs> you thought the show what coach. The fuck? <laughs> All right. The beginning of the show, uh, this is sort of our first show, so we're like, yeah. well, no. Beginning of the show, we'll do a little check-in just on how things have been, um, what's going on, you know, but you don't really know us yet, so I figured it would be good to talk a little bit about horror and uh, about some of the horror that we've seen recently. The next section is our uh, peanut gallery section where we respond to things that people have sent us. We want this to be a responsive show. We want to be in conversation with you. We'll, of course, be uh, responding to your comments and critiques and jokes and ball-busting on uh, Facebook ball and Twitter. Busting. But uh, We're but just we breaking also, balls. That's what we're doing. But anyone who has an actual good point uh, or who Snapchats us something cool, I guess, mm. whatever it is, uh, will actually uh, respond on the show and spend some time on it. You know, someone might bring up something we're thinking about and we want to talk about that or they might have a question based on something that we said. So we want to spend a good chunk of time doing that. Seeing as this is our first show, we're going to hop right into our main feature. Yes. So as we said, we did a... We did a, a well, it, into the future, there'll be double features. This was a double feature was like separated split. by a we couple We took a Thanksgiving days. Day break, yeah. But the, what was interesting about this is these were... I don't know that this is this will be the pattern, but these were two movies I had never seen. Mm, I, yeah, You I, were familiar with at least Don't Look Now. Yes. Um, Intimately don't look, familiar with Don't Look Now. <laughs> don't Look Now is a movie that I thought... This happens a lot. I thought I had, I had watched Don't Look Now. Yeah, yeah. Donald Sutherland... British horror, it all like I was. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's a movie I know. And then when we sat down to watch it, I'm like, I don't know this movie. I've never seen this movie before. Uh, and then Opera, which is I feel relatively familiar with Argento's output. See, that's the thing with me is I like beyond Suspiria. Sure, I'm not very familiar. I mean, I know, oh, like, okay. I know, like, I don't mean to be all like, well, I know what Argento's about, so I don't need to see many of his films. Like I'm familiar with what you're like, such a prick. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm just, just saying. kidding. <laughs> I, I'm I'm like familiar with what Argento was all about, and like stylistically, like when we were watching. Oh, Opera, you don't need to watch his movies then, if you know. No, no, I totally. Yeah, there's a guy, the murder, the Italian word for yellow that I can't pronounce right, so I'm not even gonna try <laughs> to. <laughs> giallo, giallo, giallo. But yeah, uh, so I mean, I, I know when I was like watching this, I was like, okay, this this fits in with everything that I. I know stylistically that Argento is a big fan of. Well, oh, I don't. You know, let, let's go in order. Let's start with uh, the first feature, which is uh, Donald Sutherland, nineteen seventy four. Seventy four, I think. Don't Criterion Collection just released. That's why just I released. Got it. Yeah, let me don't look up his. Look let me look up his his co star in that because it's very. 
I think this will be the part that we'll, we'll, we'll cut to the trailer. My sister's psychic. She wants you to know. I've seen her. And she wants you to know that she's happy. Christine. John, do you hear what I say? It was Christine. My daughter is dead, Laura. She does not come peeping with messages back from behind the grave. Yes. Christine is dead. Yes. She is dead. Yes. Dead, 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 dead. Is it you fear? My my wife was warned that, that I was in danger. If you haven't seen Don't Look Now, um, spoiler alert, Don't Look Now is about, uh, there's this British couple, um, the husband is an architect, or like a, some, so he does something with, with, uh, with buildings. I think it's a, he, I think he does a restoration. Is yes, like. yes. 1973. 1973, yeah. Julie Christie is the, is the female co-lead. She's Beautiful. amazing at it, yeah. I felt like. Um, so was Donald Sutherland, I think. Sure, 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 um, sure, sure. So anyway, they, they have this in the beginning of the film. Um, they in their their English countryside house, their daughter drowns, um, and then they they go to he gets a job, and like a it's a really like an undisclosed time later he gets a job in Venice restoring a church. They go there, and he starts having these visions where he's oh his his daughter drowned while wearing like a red rain slicker. <clears throat> And he starts having these visions of this little figure running around Venice with this red rain slicker. It, it's very weird and strange. Uh, there's like clairvoyancy involved, psychics. His wife befriends this old blind English woman. It spirals out of control, and it's just amazing. Um, this was your first time seeing it, right? Mm-hmm. What did you think about it? It's interesting. I... Uh don't look now falls into a category which I, I don't think it you would say it's gothic, but it's it's a, a kind of supernatural thriller in which 
there's a low body count. This is not like a murder movie. And there, no, no, no. There's a series of murders going on in the film, but they are a backdrop that become important later on. It's not... It's not a subplot. It becomes important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I guess we can spoil it. It's been out forever. But, uh, you know, Donald Sutherland ends up getting pulled into this uh, murder that's going on. But that's not the point. Most of the movie is is psychological and in some ways almost feels like a character study of their relationship. Yes. Of what's going on between them. And the supernatural elements add context. They add layers. But they don't feel... It's an interesting movie to think of as a horror movie. Um, not to say that it's not. I wouldn't. You say, "Oh, it's not a real horror movie because there's not enough bodies." I don't. I don't. I, I wouldn't say that. But it's not. It's definitely a movie that plays off of dread. It plays off of anxiety more than it does like fear. Like I'm. I'm less worried something's going to jump out at me. I'm yes. not in, worried about anyone's well being until towards the end of the movie. But oddly, once you start to get to that end of the movie, I'm starting to get really anxious. Like, yes. what is going to happen? It definitely. Um, w- w- what's interesting about this is if anyone who's listening has seen the Babadook. Um, when I first saw the Babadook, I was kind of reminded of this movie because both are examinations of grief in some way, like a very central. Um, feeling of this movie um, is the building dread, but it's also this, you're, you're watching a couple who are barely hanging together after the death of their daughter. Like, I mean, it, it's not like, it's not like they're always like gapping at each other and it's not like they're like falling apart, but there's very clearly, they didn't deal with the death of their daughter very well. And yeah. this is like kind of an escape. And I, I think a lot of the more supernatural stuff that starts to happen, like very clearly when Donald Sutherland's wife starts to say like, oh, like, I, you know, these, this woman had a vision of our daughter. He chalks it up to, you're going fucking crazy. You need to like calm down and deal with this. So there's that very obvious thing that you're like, oh, maybe she is suffering from this. Sure. And then as Donald Sutherland starts to fall apart and all this weird stuff starts to happen, his perception, you're like, oh, maybe he's not dealing with the death of his daughter so well. Um but it is at the very least spooky. Like uh, it's very Donald creepy, Sutherland yes. has a vision. Basically, the point at which it actually seems to me, and maybe you can correct me on this, it seems to me unclear as to whether the why the wife's experiences are legitimate or not. Yes, until Donald Sutherland has the vision, which is later revealed to basically be of the future. He sees yeah. his own future. He sees his own. Yeah, and he has no idea. He's just like, oh, she's here. I better go find her. Yeah, and that starts him down a path. That it, it's it's sort of that, I guess in a sense you could say the movie then is about fate because he sees his own funeral. He is, and he's everything that everything back. Every, the ultimate, his ultimate end. He he walks. He literally walks himself into it, and uh, he is warned by a psychic who it turns out is right not to do this. And he is so obsessed with finding out. Um, I don't think he ever out and out says like I think that's my daughter. Sure. I think it's just like I think it's just I my wife is saying all this insane shit. I'm seeing as all this insane shit. I need to know whether or not I'm going fucking crazy. And right. so that that leads him to uh to find this to 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 his ultimate demise. There is a like a little bit of frustration for me in that movies <clears throat> like this there is a, there is this feeling where I was feeling personally 
if he would just believe his wife, yes, this movie would go better for him. You yeah. know, like part of the issue is his inability to take her seriously. Yeah, even when even when he calls her and she's in England. Now, mind you, this movie was made in 1974. This isn't like she had a cordless phone. He calls the number of a hospital he thinks she's at. They put her on the phone, and he's still just like, something's fishy's going on. There's, she's in this city somehow. And he, he doesn't say that, but you could still see that he is unwilling to accept that. And when he's unwilling to accept her acceptance of these psychics, I get it, but it the film naturally leads you without... It doesn't confirm that she's right or that these psychics are right, but it does confirm that if he would just listen to her, because yeah. it's not like it's not like things aren't happening around him that are also weird. Yeah, but it's like he is ignoring them and he's just sort of like, oh, she's a crazy person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he won't go. And meanwhile, the psychics seem pretty convinced that he has powers that he also yeah. can see things. Of course, he, it turns out he's not having visions of his daughter. He's seeing the fucked up midget that will kill him. <laughs> and there we have it out in the open. It, it, it indeed is... Spoilers. It is indeed a... Not his daughter he sees running around, but a dwarf wearing... Can I say that? Is that acceptable? That's a good question. This could be the first thing where people can tell us. <laughs> I actually don't know. Yeah, because you I, threw out is... midget, and I was like, ah, I'm going to go for it, dwarf. Like, Okay, this is a person who is not of average height. Yes. And it's unclear in the film exactly. They're small enough that they look like a child. Could be. Until you see their face, and they're clearly elderly. Until you see their face, and you'll never sleep again. <laughs> it's really weird. It's really I don't weird. know. Is I, I, I said, I thought Midget was right, but I actually I, that's don't what I, know. That's, that's, I mean, I don't... I don't... Look, little, little person? Little person. Let's just go with that. Let's just go with little person. We apologize. Man, episode one, and, and we're, already, we're, we're yeah. already offending people. We're, hey, if, Justin Lore, noted fence walker. <laughs> um, yeah, I really don't. I really don't mean to make light of that. Like there, there is like a term. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And you know, you, I, I did actually feel a little bit like in the movie. Like, is it okay that the climax, the horrifying climax, the is, is, yeah. is that the the person he thinks is his dead daughter is actually just a small person who happens to be killing people. Yeah. Which they never explain. No, they don't. And that that's that's what I think is kind of like because now, mind you, throughout this throughout this whole film, it's not like they know it's not like there's like a friendly, helpful little person who like works at the you know, um coffee shop and they're like, oh that person like this person does not appear at all in the film at all and it comes completely out of nowhere. And it, it it it's so like the whole movie is like building this like level of like suspense and tension, and then at that end when you see what he's been cha- or who he's been chasing, and it's revealed to not be his daughter, it, it's just so just like what the fuck did I just see? Like I I, I really I I can't stress how far out of left field the ending of that. Not that he dies, but what kills him is so just like. I did not see that coming at all. It's certainly unexpected. Yeah, it, 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 and it's very like, I, I mean, if you would ask me in like a million years if I had watched right up to the end, like what's about to happen, I'd, I would probably ascertain that he was going to die. But what would deliver the killing blow? I, yeah, just super creepy. I, I think I was expecting something more uh, supernatural just because of the 
the general tone of the yes, film. Yes, the, the film sort of feels as if it's leading towards, I, you know, nothing like satanic or anything like that, but something spooky, and not yeah. that a murderous little, an elderly murderous little person <laughs> who's wearing what is basically a little kid's jacket, yeah, wielding a fucking meat cleaver. Like, yeah. there's something shaking about that. Her that's, head back and forth as she advances upon like, a stunned Alan Sullivan. Yeah, no, there's. It's definitely upsetting, but. Uh, I was expecting something um, ghostly, yes, supernaturally. Now, are you familiar with this story? So, this was directed by Nicholas oh, Rogue? Roeg? 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 Rogue? Yeah, no idea. Uh, are you familiar with any of his other movies? I am not. No. So he, so his first movie was a movie called Performance, which I don't know anything about. It seems to be starring Mick Jagger. So you know, fuck that. But <laughs> then uh, <laughs> in nineteen seventy one, Walkabout. Walkabout's a pretty well known movie. Never seen it. Oh. I, I, it's. I think I actually. I don't know. Do you still do Netflix discs, or are you online? I'm a strictly only? Netflix on my phone. So this is what's crazy about this. Okay. I still get discs. Okay. And the discs I have, I've had since November last year. Beautiful. <laughs> and one of those discs is 1971's Walkabout, directed by Nicholas Roeg. It's right over there, and I've never watched it. Uh, but you might be familiar with his 1976 film, The Man Who Fell to Earth. I'm, I've never seen it, but I, that's, that's the Bowie was in that, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Then uh, a series of movies after that, 1980, Bad Timing, I'm not familiar with. 1983, Eureka. Uh, 1986, Cast Away. But of course, I'm sure you're familiar with his uh, 1995 movie, Full Body Massage. I'm not familiar with Full Body Massage. <laughs> Wait, not only did he make a movie called Full Body Massage in 1995, it's a TV movie. <laughs> That's sad. <laughs> what what so heights actually, did he fall there's, from? There's actually a lot of movies between that and those two, um, which may or may not be good. The Witches. Oh, The Witches. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, so he did The Witches in 1990. You'd think after The Witches, he would have gotten some more jobs, because between that... Aria, Track 29. These are all movies I don't know about. Then in 1991, Cold Heaven. Then he's directing a couple episodes of the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Ugh. That's not exactly. Then a TV version of Heart of Darkness with uh, John Malkovich. Okay. That's fine. Then a movie called Two Deaths. I assume that's about orgasming. Uh, because then his next movie is Full Body Massage. And the one after that is Hotel Paradise. Ooh. A segment of erotic tales. Which is interesting. Oh, and then the 1996 <laughs> TV movie, Samson and Delilah. Whew. Criterion director, Nicholas Roeg. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and then in 2007, The Adventures of Young Indiana Jones, Demons of Deception. Oh. So uh, let's just go ahead and say Nicholas Roeg has had an interesting he has. career. And it's interesting that he directed a segment of erotic whatever it was okay so we're gonna do this we're gonna do this this is what i've been waiting for (laughs) so for those of you who don't know (laughs) justin can't even tell you about it now because he's so worked up about it okay so don't look now is is known for a few things um it's known obviously for being uh, a very artistic almost trippy uh horror movie and i swear i will discuss more of that because i do want to talk about the cinematography there's a lot of imagery going on there's a lot going on there uh it's known you know donald sutherland early performance great performance uh very great (laughs) (laughs) 
So there's a sex scene in Don't Look Now that is filmed brilliantly. It's yes. cutting between them getting ready mm-hmm. and them having sex. And I've I've watched this scene before I saw this movie yeah. in a film class before. So it's you know well known. But lore apparently one of many people who thinks this, but you know, led me going in to say that they're actually boning in the scene. Well, here's that, the thing. That, you, there, you, there, you tell it. There's okay. So let me be clear about this. Before before I get all like Night or yeah, nineteen. I'm giving myself too much credit. Thirteen year old lore being like <laughs> Donald Sutherland pussy. I'm gonna talk about this. Talk about this. I can't mature. believe you just dropped the peace slur. Oh, I did. Shout out to Bob Wilson. <laughs> so let me be clear about this. Um, it is it is a very beautiful scene because it's it's this moment of um, I guess levity in this movie where there's all this tension and. And then they, they, there's this really just very raw and it's very lifelike lovemaking scene. Um, and I don't mean that in like a saccharine, like, oh, we made love. But if you see this movie, it, it, it is very unlovely, but very beautiful. Um, it actually sure. looks like two people having sex. And it's, it, 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 it's, it's very erotic. It's very passionate. It's very beautiful to look at and very beautiful to watch. And there has been some controversy over the years as to whether or not they actually um, – had sex. Um, both stars involved in it deny it. Nicholas Rugg denies it. There was like a best boy grip a couple years ago. I was like, no, I saw the dick go in. Saw the dick go in. But there, that was that's not what he said. Of course, that's not what he said. It was, <laughs> it was like the associate. Produ- it was the assistant producer or something like that. Sure, sure, um, sure. But yeah, that that is always it. It, it is. Um, yeah, it, 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 it is the way it's cut and edited, like they're showing them like doing this and then they're getting ready and she's putting on her makeup and, and the music. Is, and it's just this it's this this pleasant moment of like, oh, these people, they still love each other despite all the terrible. They lost a child. They're both going insane, but they still they still love each other. That being said, no matter how beautiful it is, you are still watching Donald Sutherland have sex. And maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not. But it, 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 it's like, I don't know if like, I, I don't know if that's an affirmation of the existences of God or the complete rejection. It's like Donald <laughs> Sutherland, Donald Sutherland, just like, cause it's like, when I think Donald Sutherland, I think of him pointing and screaming at the end of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. That's what I think. So like when I'm seeing him like, oh, he's it making is, a- It is weird to think of Kiefer Sutherland as Donald Sutherland's son. It is. Kiefer Sutherland is a beautiful man. And Donald, here's the thing about Donald Sutherland. Donald Sutherland is not an ugly man. He's a striking man. Like Donald Sutherland in this movie, this was when he was still young and he had that like very exotic look to him. Sure. I think once it got to like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, that's when he became like full Time Lord looking with the <laughs> curly hair and the mustache and the eyes. This he, w- he is so tall in this movie that watching that love scene, I kind of thought like... He has to like fold himself into like... Yeah, places. how does he even make this it's like work watching logistically? A pr- it's like watching a praying man as fuck a gummy bear. <laughs> <laughs> it's so... Doesn't doesn't he bite his own foot or something at one point? <laughs> no, there is. So the I, it's funny because you were describing it as beautiful, and it is. I think it's a beautifully shot scene. Um, I don't find it particularly sexy, and I and I wonder if that's just because Donald Sutherland's mutant 
looks just distract me. I don't know. But I don't it's not it's not for me personally erotic, but that actually doesn't matter. It's still beautiful, it's emotive, it's not done in a way to be uh salacious. It's done in a way it's not pornographic to represent at all. Yeah. But there is a random shot where she bites his foot. And I'm assuming it's his foot. I'm assuming that that he that she has not bent in such a way that now her foot is next to her face. But there's a moment where she bites his foot. It's very I mean subtracting the logistical things which flooded into my brain immediately it's actually a very like passionate bite on the foot it is yeah but i'm watching it going wait why is his foot by her face right now (laughs) because it's not clear it's cut in such a way that you get glimpses of what's going on and for the most part for me the glimpses make sense even if it's like a new you're like oh okay this that whatever and honestly i mean you should be feeling something more than you're thinking logistically about how they're getting their groove on like you should just be responding to it emotionally yes and not trying to figure it out and for the most part that's where i'm at until the foot bite and then literally i'm like (laughs) what exactly was going on in that scene yeah It, it looks it, it, for half a second, I'm like, are they, is it like some sort of scissoring motion? Yeah. I mean, his legs are incredibly long, yeah. so it's not hard to imagine it could get up there. But. Yeah. And at one point, his arm is like above his head, and she's like, they're in like grappling school. And it's yeah, like, he's, he's like biting her armpit, and then it looks like he's biting his own armpit. <laughs> We're making it sound, so let's be clear. If you're watching the movie and you're experiencing the scene, you're probably not sitting there going, oh, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> you're probably just going to appreciate it. But, uh, you know, there was some part of me, there were certain shots in the sequence of shots that I did think. What exactly is going yeah, on? Why is this? Why was this? Because, uh, I mean, and there, there's a segment, I, I forget if it's before or after, where they, they're they showering. Sure. And they're standing in the bathroom naked, and they're not particularly, two particularly physically attractive people, but there's still this, like, element of, like, comfort between the two of them. Right. And the chemistry, I mean, again, I don't mean to be all, like, hoity-toity and, you know, mm, criterion, but, like, there is, like... Very clear chemistry between the two of them. I wish you would be more Criterion. I'll be more Criterion. Okay. Not even Michael Bay Criterion. I'm talking like <laughs> last year at the Mar- last year at the Mary Bond Criterion. Yes. So like there, there's just a scene where they're standing like it, it. You you think like oh you're watching a couple who've been married for years and they're just right. comfortable with it's a warts and all presentation of what marriage is actually like. Sure. And I like that, but again, Donald Sutherland. I mean, it is true when he takes his clothes off, I expect, like, bone wings to come out of yeah. his back. Yeah. Leathery bat wings to, <laughs> to come out. He's he's just a weirdly shaped dude. And yeah. again, I'm not, you know, it, it's... The point of that is not to lift myself up. I mean, you know, if 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 I was in a similar scene, you would be recording a podcast right now, whoever you are, yeah. about how gross that was. Oh my that's god, not, yeah. That's after, not the point. After you clawed your eyes out and washed the insides with holy water, vinegar, and the piss of a pope, you would then talk about how just frightening and disgusting a but, naked Justin Lore was. But I do think that it's interesting because um and I and I've thought about this before. The very aesthetics of Hollywood are so controlled now. Yes. That no one unattractive is seen unless it works for something. Yes, yes. It's a joke. It's a punchline. It's whatever. That everyone has to fit. And so, like, here's this movie that, you know, I don't know how huge a movie this was, but by the comparison of the time, it wasn't yeah. a small movie. And this extended nude scene with these people who are not, again, we're making it sound like they're monsters. It's not that they're, they're monsters. Not monsters. They're, 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 they're normal people. Yeah. Um, and all of that to just say, like, the the love scene is humorous, A, because 
part of us is able to disconnect because of the rumors. If I saw this movie and I wasn't thinking, I wonder if they're actually having sex, <laughs> then I would be less detached. Yeah. I think knowing that, and I, and I, you know, there's no avoiding that. I've heard it, ever, not everyone, lots of people have heard it, that in, you know, the word on the street, word around town, yeah. word in the back alley, is that this is not simulated. Yes. To be fair, I mean, I saw Blue is the Warmest Color, and they supposedly that was simulated, and that looks real as yes. shit to me. So clearly, they it could be simulated, and people, this is just a fake. You know, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we could weigh in right now. What do you think? Were they actually engaged in coital activity? I don't. I mean, it's not the. How do I say this without being like weird and vulgar? It's not the coitus that made me question. It's the fucking Donald Sutherland chowing down for old glory. That I was just like, okay. I mean, let me apologize and let me backtrack a little bit. There's a scene where Donald Sutherland performs oral sex on a woman. And it's not like the camera shot is like from, I would say, like about her breasts looking down. And it's right there. I mean, it's it's like mingling of pubic hair and mustache right there. Like, it's very like... How the fuck did they get that without if that's simulation? Like that's like some like Rick Baker Rick Baker level trickery right there. Like I I, I mean I mean in the end, I guess it doesn't really matter. It's no, just no. funny because it's something that people have discussed for so long, and I went in kind of thinking I'd have a definite idea. And honestly, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm actually disinclined to think that they were uh, as you said, that the intercourse is a concern. Yes. That I think it didn't seem to me to be real per se. Yeah. But, you know, they are very new together and in very tight positions. I could see why it just seems more, it seems more realistic without being pornographic yes. than other sex scenes of the time, which yeah. oftentimes it's just, you, we get nudity, but the angles that people are laying at, you're like, they're specifically in a way to make sure nothing meets yes. anything. You yes. know? But it's funny that that has taken over so much in a movie that's mostly about death. I mean, this is a movie that's about grieving and, and death and whatever. And yeah. But that scene, I think it has an impact, as you said, in a movie that is so dark, not dark in 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 an intense way, but it has an atmosphere of negativity. This one moment of life between them, yes. it makes an impact on yeah, you, I mean, the audience. Again, within the first five minutes of this movie, a child dies, and you you see it's an intense shot. It's too. very intense. And then the scene with Donald Sutherland holding her, and he's like fucking covered in mud, and he's screaming. It's it's really, really, really powerful. And then, I mean, that kind of sets a tone for the rest of the movie, is that's always in the back of your head, is, like, everything this man, I mean, and, and this woman do, there's this, like, dark penumbra over them because they just lost a child. Sure. Yeah. And then, I, there's, then there's the sex scene. I mean, of course, uh, we've already ruined this movie for you, so hopefully you've seen it. We're not endorsing it. But I will say that, just to give people an idea... And this will be something I'll bring up a lot. You know, what are the movies that we can watch with my wife or not? That's a good measure of whether something is scary. <laughs> and Sue's made it through this. Yes. No problem. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it would be unfair to say it's not a horror movie, but I think you could fairly say, um, based upon a lot of people's sort of modern understanding, it has a lot of very thriller, emotional yes. aspects to it. It just happens to, I you know, personally, I think that, the way that it deals with death and it deals with loss 
makes it heart makes it this macabre sort of movie yes even if it doesn't until the end it doesn't have that sense of danger and menace per se and i think one of the things is it's 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 i've read reviews of this movie before where they've accused it of being heavy-handed in its metaphor of like how the loss of a child would affect a married couple but there's a scene about halfway through where um, the two of them are walking through the streets of venice sure and they get lost and they get separated and you're like oh yeah. that's what they're and then they find each other, and uh, and it's just like, okay, that's what they're going through. Is at times they're lost in this like labyrinth of grief and madness, but in the end, it all comes back to each other. Um, but it, but in another way, it it doesn't right. Like that is, it's interesting that someone would accuse the movie of that only in that that's midway through the movie. Yeah, yeah. As things go on the insanity level actually ramps up. They yes, haven't really found each other. And she, at he, one point she literally goes, she's literally removed. She goes back to England. So he's literally alone in this, this maddened city going insane because he thinks she's still there. And there's this thing running around. And I will say this. It, uh, it is not an endorsing movie of Venice. Nothing about this movie made no. me go, I want to visit Venice. I'm what's, like, what a dirty, awful place. What's, what's funny about this movie is, um, and this is the only time, th- this is a kind of a stretch. When I first saw this movie, the first thing I thought was, and none of you are going to get this, maybe one person, I don't know if Liam's going to get this, yeah. uh, it was H.P. Lovecraft, Lovecraft's The Shadow of the Steeple, where he's talking about old Providence. And he describes it as this, like, it's, like, winding, and there's these, like, tight, narrow streets, and there's, like, a maze, and off in the distance, there's, like, a building that he's trying to get to, and that's kind of how, that's kind of how this movie felt. Like, there's this, like, labyrinth of, like, these really, like, a, like canyons almost, and there's shots where it's, like, they're clearly outdoors, but it feels like they're indoors, because everything, there's all these, like, shadows and everything, and um, it cast Venice almost as, like, a... um like a Kafka-esque labyrinth. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like and A confusing place to be, a place that doesn't feel welcoming, yes. you feel lost, it doesn't seem... You know, a lot of times when they show Venice, they make it seem clean. And they like make romantic. They make it seem like romantic. And this felt like just wet and dirty. They're pulling corpses out of the canals and people are like, ooh, what's going on today? Like, Oh, is there another corpse yeah. in the in the river? Yeah, yeah like it, 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 it's just like... And like the way, like the way it's shot... It constantly feels like there's 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 a lot of there's a lot of times where they don't use like a like a steady cam, so it constantly feels that something is watching them, sure. which I guess is maybe the point because something probably sure. is. But again, it, it makes it feel like Venice is just full of like menacing threats and stalkers out to get you, and yeah, it it it, it definitely it casts menace in a dreamlike way, but totally not in a good way, like. Mm-hmm. Think like slightly less surreal, but more sinister. Doctor Seuss. <laughs> uh, I I also like this is something that a few movies I've seen have done where the uh, his wife meets these s- the well it's two sisters are they sisters I think they're sisters there's two older women British women uh, one is blind and she's a psychic and the other one is like her helper and one of the things that they do pretty well is casting these characters as menacing in their ambiguity. 
It turns out there's nothing to fear from these ladies. They're not evil. They're not doing anything wrong. No, no, no. But the fact that they represent a chain, it's like they're menacing despite themselves. Yes. And you could easily diffuse that tension by humanizing them too much, by making them just normal people. But they keep doing crazy shit so that you start to think like, yo, something is fucking up with those British yeah. ladies. Those British ladies are doing something. But like, they're not. And and that's not played, speaking of Argento, it's not played for a red herring the way a giallo often does. Yes, where yes. every character seems to be actually a bad guy until the one bad guy you should be worried about shows up. It's not that. It's just that it's almost like for them as a couple, anyone who represents uh, something beyond themselves. You get the same feeling from the bishop, who I guess yeah. I guess uh, in some ways is kind of weird. Like all of the religious figures in the movie are these like uh, sort of dandy rich guys who are just always walking around covered in gold and like yeah oh yes yes fix the church this whatever. is the tile that my father's company who was owned by his father before him and his father before that mm, yes here you go they worked like, for us for 300 years yeah mm, yeah mm, yeah and and so i you know there's definitely a i don't know if i would say a politics but there's definitely a stance towards the church that comes across but that again doesn't make the church villains and yet Multiple religious figures in the movie are menacing, even though by the end, it felt as if those characters were actually on their side. They were good, but you don't know. It's almost like anyone who represents... Because in reality, Donald Sutherland, part of his reaction to his wife is his anxiety about uh, anything beyond this world, yeah, whether yeah. it's a psychic or a priest or whatever, you know, when his his wife just sort of automatically kisses uh, the bishop's, I think he's a bishop, he's a, and she, he says, "Are you even Christian?" And she's like, mm, "Well, I don't know, like yeah, I don't even know." And, she, and he's like, "Tonsor's like, I can't believe you did that." And in my brain, I'm thinking, what? "I mean, it's awkward, but it's not like a big deal." Yeah, like, he acts like it's offensive that his oh, yeah. wife has shown this religious figure respect. He and he's definitely when she's talking about like the psychic woman, she's like, "Your daughter sitting between you." He's not just like, "That's very sweet, honey." Now, can would you like to go upstairs and take a nap? He is like, very visibly, barely keeping his disgust at like a reasonable level. Like, and of course, that's related to some extent to his grief. You yeah, know, yeah. That he doesn't want to deal with it, but I, I, I think it's more that he his grief is causing his already present skepticism to turn from skepticism to just irrational, just, oh, no! He's like rageful at people who might be foolish, but they still just mean him well. No one's trying to hurt him. Yeah. He's he's very hostile to anyone comforting his wife in a way that isn't just him, quote-unquote, comforting his wife. (laughs) I mean, it's weird that, that that... so much can be established. I say weird. It's skillful. That so much can be established by simply having ambiguous characters. In the end, there only is only one character who means him ill, and it's a little person with a fucking butcher knife and with a horrifying a beak of a nose. God. <laughs> if you're still listening to this and you haven't seen this movie and you're like, fuck those guys, I spoiled that movie, I beg you, I implore you to do a Google image search for Don't Look Now ending. And you will know exactly what I'm talking about when I say horrifying beak of a nose. 
<laughs> maybe I'll maybe when we do the post, I'll put an image oh, of this person. It's, oh, it's it's ridiculous. Oh man. So uh, let's let's wrap this up a little bit. So you, we it sounds like we both enjoyed. Don't look. I now. like don't look now. Yeah. I I think. Uh, was there any new revelations for you as you rewatched it, as you revisited? It? No, no. I mean that that was one of those movies that was pretty. Uh, I mean, it, it's definitely like an intelligent film, mm. um, and it, it's 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 an enjoyable film, but it's not like a very particularly dense film. Like, sure. I mean, it, how would you what what would you describe as the central anxiety as the the source of of fear in the movie? Questioning one's own sanity, I would say. Yeah, like that. That was definitely. I mean. Because again, they don't really. The director doesn't really drive home the fact that there's a serial killer in the loose in Venice, right? Which they kind of bring up every now and again, but it's not like, it's not like murderers are happening left and right. And you're like, they could be next. It's more like, you know, it's the questioning of one's own ability to maintain hmm. and to to, to 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 stay sane is it's what is is what's the really scary part. I think for me, it was some sense of fate, uh, of. The way that life is beyond our control suggests something supernatural. So it's like, um, other than possibly knowing something bad was going to happen to him, yeah. And the vision he has, which he doesn't know is a vision of his own funeral, but he thinks is just seeing his wife on another boat. Yeah. Uh, there isn't actually that much supernatural stuff in the movie. It, there's not a confirmation that there's something beyond, but there is a feeling that life, that there is a fate. And that that fate is really hard to avoid. Like he, something bad is going to happen to you. Yeah, it builds up, it builds up, it builds up, and then in the very acts of avoiding these things, he sets it up. He well, sets I mean, himself up. It, it, I mean, right? I don't mean to go on this much longer, but I mean that idea of fate—that it's inescapable. He's looking at pictures of this church as his daughter's drowning, and what does he see in the picture of this church? Right, he sees the red figure right there. Yeah, I mean, so this thing has been there, and he's been aware of it throughout the whole film. It's not like something he sees, like even before he sets foot in Venice, he's aware on some level of this thing sure. that's there. Yeah, there's, there's in that sense, for me, um, even though it's not a very dense film. Uh, the combination of that sense of dread, that feeling about fate, that feeling that something is going to happen to him and that no amount, it, it's, it almost makes that love scene feel irrelevant because there's so much life between them yeah. and yet there's nothing he can do in yes. a way to get away from it. It, it makes the film um, menacing even if it isn't scary. It makes it sort of have that presence where it kind of sticks with you. And it adds then for me to some of the imagery in the film, like the the way the film sort of plays out, there is a lot of sort of nightmarish scenarios, yeah. just the way the the um the way that it's that it's filmed and, and the way that it looks, it just gets under your skin in a way that a lot of newer movies just don't for me. Yeah. The, the newer movies it it, sometimes it, it just feels so much more about the story than it is the atmosphere or the aesthetic, you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, don't look now. Um, I think we're going to figure out a way to end each of our things, and I don't know what it is yet. We'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll figure it out. But first episode, so we're cool. All right. So uh, we also watched a little movie by Italian maestro. I would call him a maestro. Dario Gento called Opera. Father of Asia Argento.
to close your eyes, you'll tear them apart. So you'll just have to watch everything. She is the captive audience. They are the unreversed players. Evil is the true star. And no matter how hard you try, you won't be able to close your eyes. Director Dario Argento brings fear. Don't leave me alone. I'm afraid. Passion. Obsession. I can take you whenever and And murder to a perfect pitch. Saying, let's let's talk about this a little bit. You were saying before that you are not what you would call a Dario Argento fan. No, I mean I don't dislike his stuff, um, but when it comes to like what he's like, I I first of all I'm not a big slasher fan, and that kind of. Would you, do you really think of him as a slasher director? I feel like a lot of his stuff is is more. It, it it's just like stylized slasher films. Man, I with would, like a touch of supernatural. I don't know if I would agree. But but keep going. No, but it's like, and again, I I I haven't really seen enough of his stuff to make a um, like an like an accurate assessment of it. Sure, it's just none of his films have ever really grabbed me. Like even Suspiria, like I think Suspiria is beautiful to look at, but it's not like if you give me a choice, you're like, oh, we have like three movies and we can watch two. We have Dog Soldiers, uh, The Creature from the Black Lagoon, and Suspiria. I'm not gonna pick Suspiria. I'm going to pick Creature in the Black Lagoon. Wow. This is, this is a revelation, and I don't want to get bogged down in your shitty taste in movies. That's but, fine. But I do. Because it's very deep. Like you, you, you will drown. <laughs> but uh, so you don't find Suspiria, because I think I am not alone in saying, I think a lot of people feel this way, that Suspiria is one of the most nightmarish movies I've ever seen. No, and again, let me be clear about this. I, I enjoyed Suspiria. Um and it, it's definitely. It, Here's a question I have actually about that. Have you ever seen Suspiria in a theater on film before? I have not. No. Whew. I feel because the movie is so much about the visuals and about the colors. I almost wonder if not seeing it in a theater makes it. I mean, not that there aren't people who've only seen it at home and yeah, still yeah, love yeah, yeah. it, but I wonder if your experience, especially if the first time you'd seen it was in a theater in that scenario, if it would have a different effect on you. I'm open it's a it, very yeah. immersive film for yeah, me. Yeah. Even as the story, I mean, I don't think anyone who appreciates Suspiria would be like, well, it's just so well written. It's just such no, a... No, no, and that, that's one thing, you know, I, I it, it's a similar thing to, um, to, to the works of like Lucio Fulci. Like his films aren't very... Uh, they're not very they're not giants in the field of plot or coherence but they're amazing to look at sure for better or worse and that's sure. that's kind of how I always felt about like Argento films like Suspiria um, the plot didn't thrill me it didn't wow me but I mean we were talking about this like the colors of it yeah. and the way it looks I mean even the scenes where there are like there's the one scene in the beginning where the 
um, the main character is running down a road at night, and there's like the trees behind her, and it's this very like she's in the car, someone else. Oh, is in running. the car. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes. That's a very striking scene. Oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's very and, beautiful. And that combined with the music, like sometimes the music in Argento movies is distracting. And I feel like in Suspiria, it's successful all the way through. You, uh, you did a very good rendition of uh, some <laughs> some music in uh, <laughs> in Argento. <laughs> I don't even remember what it. I think it was more like a. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, I'm very good at mouth music. You are. What? Uh, so, Ar- uh, for those of you who don't know. Argento sort of broke into film. I guess you could say slash. It, it, you know, at the time it wasn't slasher. They, these were giallo movies. They were they were thrillers. Yeah, you had the feminine giallos, which were you know female protagonists. It dealt with feelings of insanity. Uh, there actually were tended to be lower body counts, which is not as we've come to know giallo. But I think that's because of Argento, starting with. Bird with the Crystal Plumage. I think Bird with the Crystal Plumage is first. Let me look at this real quick. Yeah. Bird with the Crystal Plumage, Four Flies on Gray Velvet, Cat and Nine Tails. He did these three animal-themed giallo that really changed the focus to men, uh, changed the focus to definitely like uh, a gritty urban environment, fucking up the body count. It's about time someone took a concern for men. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, But I think it was because... In a in the female focus, Jolly, which I believe is the it plural, is. Uh, <laughs> the focus was kind of like any sort of house of psychotic women kind of movie. Yeah. It was on their mental state. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas the male focus ones tend to be just on their on anxiety. There's someone out to get them. You can't trust anyone. Right, right, right. It's it's you know it's also a level of anxiety, but it's an anxiety related maybe less to your own internal mental states. Yeah. It's not about these dudes losing their minds, you know, in the same way. Uh, All that to say, those three movies were sort of his start. But I think after those movies, I wouldn't say that they were all that slashery. Um, Deep Red, I guess, is, is a slasher movie, but it has this like nightmare quality to it. Suspiria, as we were talking about. Inferno, to me, feels like Suspiria. In fact, Inferno, in some ways, it's like... The, the theme it has with Suspiria is this period where Argento ca- is really showing a lot of architecture. Okay. I saw the movie when I was a kid that I think was, is there one of his movies that features like a flooded house that someone is in a house, like a house that's filled with water? I think that's Inferno. Okay. Then I've seen Inferno. Oh yeah. I like, like when I was on like TV. Yeah. I'm okay. Sure. Yeah. 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 Well, and we, I, I do think now that we're doing this together, we could do this whole run because there's Inferno 82, there's Tenebrae, which is a slasher movie, but again, kind of nightmarish. Phenomena is a slasher movie, but it has uh, Jennifer Conley as a psychic Mm. who talks to bugs. And somehow that helps her catch the slashers. She talks to bugs. Yeah. It's really weird. Uh, And then Opera was the movie we watched. And then I would say post-Opera... We're not really seeing, and I think we felt that opera itself wasn't that great. But then you have Two Evil Eyes is the movie he did with George Romero, Trauma, uh, The Stendhal Syndrome, Fan of the Opera, Sleepless. Yeah, it's just it's Dracula. All, it's all was it? He he kind of downhill from yeah. here. Yeah, no, the Drac. I have no interest in the Dracula one whatsoever. So, uh, but let's focus on opera. So, opera is a 1987 movie. Um, I'm sure the people in it are probably folks who are familiar names to people in, you know, 
if you know about Euro horror. They yeah. seem like people who are in other Euro horror movies. Yeah, this movie. But I didn't recognize. There was no one that stuck out to me yeah. as a. I would say when it comes to Euro horror, I'm like a medium. I'm a medium fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I like Fulci. I like Argento stuff. I've seen a few Gialli, uh, but that's it's all limited. I don't have like a deep cut sort of thing. Yeah, I went. I went through a phase of being into like, um, like way into like Italian zombie movies, but nothing that approaches the respectability of. Argento. And I think with opera, I mean, the name, it's all sort of in the, I mean, you could say, I think that it has alternate sort of titles. For some reason, the IMDb doesn't have it, but they're in the trailers that we watched, there are alternate titles like uh, Death at the Opera Terror or something, the opera, Terror at the Opera, yeah. something like that. So I think it's supposed to have a fan of the opera feel, which is funny considering he made a fan of the opera movie later on. Um, and the movie itself is operatic. It has crescendos. Yes. It has, I mean, and I don't just mean the soundtrack, which alternates between opera and, and hair Iron metal. Maiden, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like a, yeah, I, I shouldn't even say hair metal. It's like speed metal, yeah. but definitely later speed metal, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but, I, I, and anyways, I don't just mean the music. I mean, even the pacing of the movie. It's, and we sort of talked about this. It has an interesting camera effect where the camera is often following people very closely it's moving the camera is in motion a lot yeah and that creates it oddly adds and again i don't know that much about opera so i can't tie it aesthetically very well but i can say that for my experience it there was an opera feel to it it's moving in it's moving in a rhythm yeah, it, it, it goes with the music yeah if it felt almost like um if you were watching like a stage play and you were being told where to look. Um, and at times, I, I think the camera work was like a little like, all right, we get it. Like, it's following someone. Um, but but I, but I think what added more to the feel of it being like an opera on film was the level of acting at times. It wasn't bad. Sure. It was just very like, you know, not even, I, I can't really, desc- it, like, it, it's, hard, it's hard to explain but it, it went above and beyond what was needed, and I won't say appropriate for a horror film, because I did, in the end, I felt that it accomplished what it's what, what it setting out to do. But it was very, a lot of the acting was very grandiose. Like People were chewing the scenery, is what exactly, you mean to yes, say. Yes. They were not, I, and not everyone. And it's a, this is, I, I think, the limitation with some of these Italian films. If you don't like dubbing... You're going to fucking bad. hate this movie. Yeah. There was a lot of dubbing. Not all the stuff matched up. I don't know. We should have done a little more research. I don't know if the level of dubbing was because they filmed it in Italian and then this was the English version or if they just – a lot of times what they'll do is just film it all without – like there's sound on set, but they just – go back and do all the voices yeah, yeah. because the actors don't speak English very well, so they yeah, have people yeah. do whatever. Uh, I, we don't, I don't know. I didn't do the research on this to find out, so apologies for that. But it, the dubbing was excessive. And it to me, I'm actually okay with dubbing. I'm not one of these people that... I mean, I think that's one of the big barriers oftentimes to uh, European horror, is especially Italian horror, is yeah. the dubbing. But people... Lo- I mean, that's one of those things that people love to like... It went from being a kid and making fun of like Japanese monster movies because of the terrible dubbing to people actually not being able to get over it. Um, I don't mind it. it. It's one of those things, unless it's especially bad, which, again, to be honest, this one was kind of pushing it. 
it, you kind of just it fade. It's like subtitles. It just fade. It just becomes another part of the movie, and you just get used to it, and it it ceases being like an active thing you have to focus on. But the dubbing for this one, there were times where it was just like, I mean, it, it almost like took me out of the experience. Like, I it certainly is hard to judge someone's performance because they're in, and not not to say that there no one has done dubbing and had a had a good performance. It's just harder for me to judge the acting, especially yes. when people are freaking out on the screen and then the dubbing doesn't match. And but uh, there is this feeling, I think, in the. Uh, the film can be so over the top. And honestly, the motivation... Uh, so let's back this up a little bit. The story itself is kind of dumb. I mean, can we just put that out there? Like, well, there's a... There's there's a, this the, the part that I, I want to get at, but can you give a plot rundown really quick before I can jump like, into things it, it, it's that a, I hated about this movie? It's a very... Okay, so there, there's obviously an opera... And it's like the night before production starts on this very weird and surrealistic interpretation of Macbeth. The star of the opera gets hit by a car, and she's like, she's like this like huge opera star in Italy. So she gets replaced with this like young greenhorn girl who's like unsure of herself. And then this person starts killing people around this girl, and he makes her watch. And the way he makes her watch is he, what he does is he'll knock her out, tie her up. Um, gag her and then put these like it's like a, it's hard to it's like a strip of tape with like four needles facing up and he'll tape it just under her eyelid so she cannot close her eyes and then when someone comes in to help her he kills that person and then it turns out that she used to have a nightmare about this happening when she was a child um, and I mean Liam and I were making jokes when we were watching it how it was just like written co-written by Dario Argento directed by Dario Argento based on an idea by Dario Argento and it's so glaringly apparent throughout this whole movie that the idea that he had was this girl being tied up with these needles on her eyes. And then he brought someone in to help flesh that idea, flesh that idea out. Well, and he borrows from other sources, like, again, spoiler alert, <laughs> but the ending, if you've read the book, not seen Manhunter, or even, I think, the movie, but if you've read the book Red Dragon, the ending is very similar to Red Dragon. There's, there's a... There's a uh, the the fake out and not really being okay, dead. Yes, yes, yes. And then the you know the relationship, and then the cops show up, and someone starts talking to a lizard, and then it's just over. <laughs> like, that, that's how this fucking movie ends. Like, <laughs> oh shit, I forgot about the lizard. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, no. Uh, the uh, the the, but as you were saying that so, in a very basic sense, it's a murder mystery. Yes. And um. People are being killed in this opera, and it's related to this woman who comes in as a stand-in, and she's the star. But the way that it's cut, so when things are happening, there's this beat. There's a picture of a. There's a shot of a brain. Pumping. Oh my god! It's pumping. It's the brain is beating, and the camera itself so zooms pulsing. in and out, pulsing. All of that says to me that she's the fucking killer. Every time it happens, I'm like. Oh, she is imagining getting tied up. Yeah. She's actually killing all these fucking people. It's honestly the only thing that makes sense. Now, at the end, they sort of connect it by kind of suggesting that maybe at some level she likes everything that's happening. Of course. This is good. But then they turn around where she's like, I didn't like it. I lied. I didn't like it. Yeah. Ah. And you're just like. She's telling the killer, like, you're right. I am. I, I am like my mother, which is. That was so weird to me how the killer... I mean, we just jumped there and we didn't even give any context. But the, the point being is that 
it's just a killer who's obsessed with her. And the elements of it that make it seem like there's something more going on are so red herring heavy. And in the end, yeah. to even get at the killer the way they do. So there's this theme in the movie where they're doing the opera version of Macbeth. Side note. Argento finished this film believing in the Macbeth curse. There were so many accidents. <laughs> no, really. Someone died on set. Really? Yes. And just little things. So in the stage play of Macbeth, they have the the point of the movie, it, like the central story is she's cast in this opera, this guy who used to be a horror movie director and now he's directing an yes, opera yes. who's clearly supposed to be Argento but like actually attractive. And... um <laughs> On the set, he has all these crows. It's like part of the theme. He oh, just wants God, these crows. The crows, 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 crows. I forgot about the crows. And in the movie, it's like 12 crows. Yeah. Maybe 20 crows. There's more. That, there's, like a, there's like several cages full of the crows, isn't there? No, it's just the one cage. Okay. And so there's these crows. And in the end, I guess you're supposed to believe that crows are so smart because the killer killed one of, a couple of the crows and they came that they can vengeance. release the crows and the crows will just attack him because yeah. that's how crows are. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. Here's the crazy shit. In reality, there were 140 crows. <laughs> and according to one of the actors in the film, it would take upwards of three hours. Every time they released the crows, it would take a minimum of three hours to get the crows back. <laughs> and here's the thing. By the end of filming, they only had 60 crows. So just... 80 crows, just gone forever. No one knows where they went. <laughs> they never found them again. Because they had to pay for these crows. Yeah. Crows aren't cheap. These are trained crows. Yeah. 140 crows... They only get 60 back. Like So there's 80 trained crows out there right now as we speak. Well, yeah, apparently, I was just reading, this is in the trivia section on the IMDb, that there were uh, accidents, someone died. It was like a, um, there's like a whole thing. And then even just little things, like there's, there's a controversy about the aspect ratio of the film, how it was filmed and how it's presented. And it just seems like there's constantly weird things about this movie. Even, um... Even uh, Ian Charleston is one of the guys in the movie. I, I forget who he plays in the movie. But while he was filming this movie, he was in a car accident, had to go to the hospital. Then while he's back on set, finds out that he's HIV positive because he was Jesus. in the car accident and they tested his blood. Um, I mean, it's not that he didn't... He, anyways, the point being is just reading through the trivia thing, I'm struck by... Um, the variety of ways that things gone went wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Argento's like, yeah, fuck Macbeth. That's There's a, a curse. Thing. We can't do it anymore. That's <laughs> no terrible. More. <laughs> it's a me, Mario. It's a me, Argento. Um, so, okay, let's. We we've kind of gone off, off track, but let's let's clarify here. I think opera is visually stunning. Yes, and it shows that even in a con- so Suspiria, Inferno. I would say even Deep Red. These are movies that are. Almost, they're bordering on abstract in the way that they use color, yes. the nightmarish way that the music works. It's like a perfect, like the fact that Suspiria even exists as a movie is like some sort of strange coincidence. How did it happen? How did Suspiria even come to be this like moment of of weirdness that shouldn't work? I mean, the story is stupid, and yeah, yet yeah. the movie to me is totally effective. So opera shows like even working in kind of a different format, different sort of setting, kind of giallo, kind of not. You know, just in this new world where he's trying to find his way as a director, he's still visually stunning. Yes, yes. But the story just doesn't work for me. It's not compelling. I mean, the whole idea of 
So the killer had a relationship with the star's mother is basically the big reveal. And it involved him hurting people and her being turned on by it. Yeah. So the way he works this out is she just keeps getting tied up and forced to watch him murder people. It's just not interesting. Every time. It's very, um, I don't know. Uh, there's for me, there's no tension. No, it's, it's, I won't go so far as to say it's boring, but it's not compelling in the way that other, that I find other Argento movies. There was no real sense of like, I mean, even there was the one part where they, where he was in or was he not? Like there was the scene with the, 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 uh, the, in the apartment where they were like, is he the cop? Is the cop the killer? You know, is that the real cop in the room? That felt, I don't, I don't, I felt no sense of danger. Although the part where the fucking girl gets shot through the people was awesome. <laughs> But yeah. Everything else in that was just like, I don't know, like, oh, I don't care if it's the killer. I don't care if who the killer is. Like, there's no real, I don't know. There was, there was, there was no real sense of like urgency or danger at all. It was just like, this is just kind of dumb. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't want to slam the movie too hard in that we've all seen things that are much worse and, you know, I, I it seems like if you're going to take in Argento's filmography, this might be the last one. This might be yes. actually the last. Like again, some people love Two Evil Eyes. I'm really ambiguous on Two Evil Eyes, especially the Argento section, which is just Harvey Keitel yelling and hitting a woman and a cat being mad at him. Like that's like the whole movie. But <laughs> that aside, that aside. Um, so it's valuable in the sense of, in the grand scope of things, it's at least a competent or gentle I, I, movie. I also think some of the visuals re- made this movie redeemable. Yeah, it wasn't... I, I don't think we were bored. It's just... Uh, there's just not a lot of tension, and some of the decisions didn't make sense. Why show the pulsing brain? Yeah. I don't really... I mean, again, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe someone watched this movie and was like, oh, I get oh, I get what he's saying. My brain, brain pulses shot. when I'm angry, like... But it's just it, it it seemed unnecessary. The kills were not that interesting. The weird plot, you know, the neighbor who lives in the vents. That was fucking weird. So there's a moment where so the there's a number of shots where you see someone in the vents at the girl's house, and of course you assume it's the killer. And then it's kind of a classic reversal. It's not, but instead it's, it's a just helpful this, little girl, just a neighbor girl who just crawls around in the air conditioning vents yeah 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 and then when they show the other apartments like each of them is slightly menacing but for no reason like why are why are the other apartments abandoned and menacing yeah. looking yeah there's I mean, no reason for it it was know? like at one point like this girl's mother um the little girl the the little girl who lived the girl in the vents the little girl in the vents she's just in the vents yeah. because uh, because her mother's a prostitute yeah basically. and at one point her mother's just like kissing a man outside the main character's door and she's wa- the main character just watching through the peephole, and it was just like, what the I hell? I honestly going- think the peephole was all set up for the shooting her through the peephole. Totally worth it, though. Totally oh, sick, fucking worth sick. it. Yeah. And in fact, uh, one of the other trivia things I read was that the woman who played that character didn't want to play that character. She thought it was too thin a character until she read the death scene and just thought it was such a sick death scene that she wanted to do it and was very anxious about it because if you see it. Um, the way they get the effect is they literally put a little bit of explosives on the back of her head. Yeah, get yeah, that right, right. Blown out back of the head. Look. Yeah, and uh, and it worked. Oh that yeah, was it was sick. That was pretty dope. Like it, it, it. Uh, I mean, it was kind of like 
you saw it. I, I, I was like, okay, she's either going to get stabbed through there or, but the second he said, you can see my badge. And then she was like, okay. And he was like, you want to see my gun? I was like, he's going to fucking shoot through the people. It's going to be him. And then he did. And it was just like, oh my God. Like really weirdly shot too. I mean, it wasn't just like bang, her head got blown off. They show like the bullet, like traveling through the people. Like that was cool. It was an interesting, it was an interesting effect. And I found, and I found myself wondering, um, how much was just built around that? Like, we're going to do this part, so we have to set up. Because that whole yeah, scenario yeah. was strange. But again, like, getting back to it, I don't know why. Because, you know, the movie ended and we were not stoked. But now thinking about it, I'm kind of like, well, if you're an Argento completist, if you're someone yeah, who yeah, is, it, it's it's worth watching it. Yes, you know? I would say that. But I think comparing it to, I happen to think the Animal Trilogy, which is his... First three, Jolly, before he did Deep Red, which started more of the nightmare scenarios. Uh, those first three are so tense and so compelling and really do create a, a template that not just... I mean, people always say, like, Carpenter, Friday the 13th, that these slasher movies... Yes, yes. I would go way fucking before that, Brian De Palma, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That a lot of, like, thriller directors were learning from these movies. So when you see something like opera, which is... I think, I guess what it is with opera is it flirts with something more than what it is. Okay. And it, it feels to me like it tries to go beyond the Gialli sort of notes. Yeah. And it yeah. just doesn't, it just doesn't work that well. I think it, 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 it strove to be more than it actually was, more than it was capable of being. Um, because like Murders at the Opera, like something that revolved just around Mur- Murders at the Opera would have been fine. Um, yeah, not a problem. Yeah. But then, like, I, I mean, it was the whole thing with, like, this, like, guy's, like, you would be judged for the sins of your mother. He doesn't actually say that, but that's kind of what he's, like, you know, it, it just got too much. And then, like, the it just kept going. Like... Yeah, and, the, you know, the studio <clears throat> originally wanted him to cut that whole ending. I wish he would have. I, I think it could have ended where it was. With, yes, with the fire and the... And then they're like, and it, it, it's like, it's like there there was a scene at the end that I was just like, okay, this very clearly is like a stretch. How like, and again, we've essentially spoiled this movie, but there's a scene where the, he's about to burn. They're trapped in this room in the in the opera, and that's another thing is how they're like, they were like, we have to evacuate. Like you know, the killer he's in, he's in the building, and she just goes to her room unattended. When the birds, att- you know what I mean? It was just very like I. I yeah, I they've wasn't- now shown it. They know he's there. They know they've he's in the building, it. and then that there's there's what, not. And 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 if you're gonna pull a trap where you're gonna reveal the, the why not inform the police? Why are there no police? Yes. in the building. Yeah, and then like um, so he's like setting. He tricks her into shooting him, or so we're led to believe, and then he sets the building on fire. She gets out, an untold amount of time later, a week, two weeks, whatever. Her and the director are in Germany. Was it Germany or was it like the Italian Alps? Could have been the Italian Alps. Yeah. They're, they're now in like a more Alpine setting. And then like it turns out that like the killer just shows up and he's like, yes, I, I burned a mannequin's... Like she gets a phone call where she's like, yeah, we got the results of the autopsy and it was a mannequin that was burned in there. It's like really it took you weeks to figure out that it wasn't a human body and it was a mannequin. Like what, the, what fucking medical school did you graduate from? It, it was just... And then he's talking more like rambling nonsense before he kills her. And I, I don't know that that entire, like the last like 15 minutes of that movie 
felt like an hour. Like it was so long and unnecessary that I, I just, I, I felt that it like, I was like okay with the movie up until then. And then that ending, I was just like, this is going to cast like a negative light on this movie for me. Yeah. I hate to say it. Like I really do. I don't know what it is about nostalgia sentimentality that makes me want to love. I just want to love Argento. And there is something, the image of the nails on her eyes to keep her from very striking, very striking thing. Yeah. And yet it just doesn't, it just didn't work that well. Um, what would you say is sort of the the central fear and anxiety of this movie? Is there um, one? I don't. It's. I guess maybe that's part of the thing. Is it doesn't get. It's just a story. There's nothing for me other than certain images, which are amazing. There's no. Uh, there's no central. Maybe like insecurity. Animus. Insecurity about her place in the world because in the very beginning sure. when they're like, get up there and be Lady Macbeth, and she's like, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I have the talent to. I don't know if I can. You know, and they're like, no, you can do it. And the whole time... I think it was the twist with her mother, though. We get no indication. And maybe this was cut. Maybe this is, you know, we're sort of critiquing and it was there at some point and we just don't get it now. But in the movie we saw, there's just not enough connection to her past. Yes. We don't know. Yes. We don't even know if she has a motherfucking mother. Like, it's yeah. not it's not present enough for then the reveal of, oh, you know, this is who you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not there. And, and again... Some of the identity stuff is there a little bit because I was kind of thinking like maybe she's the killer. Yeah, but yeah. Not nearly enough. There's for those movies, the what gets at me about the red herrings and all the thing is this feeling of danger. Who knows who it could be? Who knows yeah. what's really going on? And uh, I just wasn't there. So I, I don't even know if I can say you know, I, I don't think not being scary, this is going to sound weird, but I don't know that not being scary is enough reason for me not to like a horror movie. Okay. But in this case, the thing that I didn't like about it made it very not scary. Yeah, because it was already, I, I think it was already on like thin ice for most of the movie. And the fact that there was no real, like, again, like when, like when the little girls running through the vent and they're being chased, I was just like... I'm not buying it. I guess he's coming. Yeah, the, there he is. Know. Like they better get out of there. Like, I mean, yeah. Who is like? He's he, elements of the story seem thrown in. He is cutting up her dress. Why is he doing that? I I don't know. And then he kills some crows. I don't yeah. know. It only makes sense so that the crows later on will attack him. Which do crows attack people like that? I I don't I don't know. The I guess scene they do. where they execute the we'll call it the crow trap. The yeah. scene where that is executed was so fucking insane right. and just over the top. They literally crash a fucking like, like what, six by six by 10 foot cage full of crows through a window. And the guy, there's also a man inside the cage, kicks the door open. It's so dramatic. It's so insane. But then they cut. Okay, so then they cut from that to a crow comes out of the cage <laughs> and flies around the room for like... You know, I mean, in film time, I'm sure it was only like a minute. But when yeah. you're watching a movie, a minute sequence yes. of a camera flying around the room, and you're just like, I get it. Someone in the room is the killer. Yeah, yeah, We yeah. don't know who. Eventually, that crow's going to land on somebody. Yeah. And then the other crows start to be like, oh, I guess we should go too. And then before you know it, they're attacking the, the, the guy. And you're just, it's, <clears throat> it's filmed in such a way that 
why have such a dramatic, intense, like... And it was dramatic. crashes through it the was gate very opens. very dramatic. Also that the crow will just fly around and people are just in the room like, I guess we're not supposed to leave. I yeah. guess this is part of the show. Yeah. It's, it, it didn't... It, uh, I hate to say it, but I, I'm, a, I'm a... If you have not seen this, I would not recommend it. No, nor would I. I, I don't think it's worth it. So uh, that was our double feature. If you would like to suggest a double feature for us next month uh, or for January, I, I think um, well, this will probably go up in December. Uh, so it's all because it's already December now. Yeah, right? yeah. So, um, but in December we're hoping to do a Christmas horror movie double feature. Yes. And then January we haven't picked our movies yet. So if you have something you want to suggest, feel free. Uh, if we don't pick it, it's uh, not because we don't like you. It's because your suggestion was bad. And that that may indeed reflect upon our opinion. And then we don't like you, but we it wasn't because we didn't like you first. It's that you made a bad yeah. suggestion. So if you recommend a movie like um, the Fog remake, which I'm going to keep bringing up. Yeah, Odd Thomas. That we, would not yeah. be acceptable. Oh, Jesus Christmas, <laughs> God. Uh, uh, whatever it is, we're gonna make fun of you and not watch it. But no, uh, we do want your input. Uh, we are also going to be ending these things with any sort of updates, you know, horror movie news, things like that. Uh, I actually don't have anything. It's, it feels like kind of a dead period right now. There's not yeah, much I mean, I, I haven't, I, I haven't, I mean, I make it a point. I check bloody disgusting daily, but usually it, it, it sucks. Cause unfortunately the big thing has been like the Stephen King, it remake and how everyone's like sure. crying, eating their own shit over it. Um, I mean, I did see that Matthew McConaughey, is likely to get cast in the stand that would be movie sick and that i'm cool with uh and i guess this is definitely not horror movie related but there's a lot of talk right now about this uh gods of egypt movie and the fact that all the cast is like norwegian yes and no one in the movie there's is actually no african one, yeah. at all and um honestly it's it's funny to me because Let's put aside the obvious racial thing, not because I don't think it's important, but watching the trailer, I didn't even get to the mental work of, oh, by the way, these are all white people, because I was still stuck with, look at how shitty this movie looks. And I don't just mean the CGI shitty. looks awful. The CGI looks actually, it CGI looks like uh, a GIF on Reddit. Like, yes. That's what it fucking looks. It doesn't look real. No. It looks like a joke. This like, is Alex oh, Proyas mm. is doing this, right? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. Oh, my God. It looks terrible. Then you take that. It already looks terrible. Then the idea, like the plot of it, it's like, wait, what did you do? How is this related? <laughs> and then you're like, wait a minute. You cast all, this whole thing is set in Egypt with quote unquote Egyptian gods. You didn't think having one person of color might be helpful. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You couldn't even brown up the blonde guy from Game of Thrones. Yeah. It's like redonkulous and then and again I think it's 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 one thing when you have a movie that people are otherwise excited about or otherwise think looks good and then you're asking them to think about you know I I, because people get defensive I'm someone who will regularly critique when white people are up in shit that they shouldn't be in but sometimes you get pushback people are like no whatever who cares it's yeah, good yeah, movie. yeah it doesn't matter no one is coming to the defense of this movie no everyone's like this looks shitty and and it's pissing people off. Well, fuck that movie. Then yeah, you know? it looks. If you haven't seen the trailer already, it's basically like, I, I oh my god, I can't, I can't even just. I mean, to be honest, it's ancient Egyptian. It involves monsters. I like the band Nile. They're about ancient Egyptian monsters. Sure, so sure, that. sure. But this was just like Gerard Butler being like, 
not Sparta. And then Jamie Lannister being like, Jamie Lannister. And then some, like, the last line is like, we should do what mortals do. What's that? We should run. Mm." And it was just like, it just, you know what it looked like? A shittier Clash of the Titans. A shittier remake of Clash of the Titans. It's true. It's true. That's what, I mean, and I... Honestly, I kind of blame 300. I feel like yes. since 300, there has been this run of like, uh-huh. oh man, let's go. And here's the thing. Ray, Harry, Harry, Harryhausen, Harryhausen already made these movies into anything good. You know yeah. what I mean? Like we already have, I guess people are just not stoked on claymation anymore, but we already have these sort of epic battle sort of movies. Yeah. None, for me at least, not a single one of these movies post 300 movies has even been watchable. Uh, did you see The Immortals? No. I like The Immortals. All right, I'll give it a go. Yeah. That was know. the only one, though. Even 300, I was kind of like, uh, about. Oh, no. 300 takes, uh, 300 is one of the few movies that expands on its original source content and then completely ruins it with its expansion. They're like, look, we'll just add one little plot point Thus showing we didn't understand the point of the original text at all. It's like the whole... I mean, don't get me wrong. There's not much going on in any Frank Miller text, but... Uh, You're right. There's brown people, bad. White people, good. (laughs) But in this one particularly, the entire point is 299 die so one guy can get back and tell the story. Meanwhile, his wife's like, let me tell you guys what's going on. If I was that dude and I got back there and I'm like, wait, you told everybody? Yeah. What? Well, then what? What? Why am I here? I don't well, understand yeah, what this is why about. Why am I? Why am I living a coward's life now? <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening to this, our first episode. I'm as so you said, happy. Uh, we want to say uh, also thanks to obviously uh, our partner in crime, Josh, over with Cinepunks, and we want to say thanks to everyone who's checked it out. To Justin Miller for doing our logo. Mm, I can't wait for that. Which I'm sure is great. It's going to be amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, To Doug Tilly, who works on the website. He's behind the scenes. If you get a chance, check out his podcast, No Budget Nightmares, which is a also horror-based podcast, but focuses on no-budget to low-budget movies. Ooh, I like that. And then his other podcast, Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Because he is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks for li- listening. And ta ta um, for now. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Witty sign off of some kind. <laughs>